AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Always appreciate it. Lots to talk about today. We'll talk the infrastructure bill with Chris Edgington, president of the National Corn Growers Association. We'll talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. And we're going to talk about biofuels. We'll talk RVOs and RFS issues, uh, exemptions, waivers, and things like that with Kurt Kavarik. Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. A lot going on there, including a story from Reuters. We talked about this yesterday. The oil industry may be a new tactic for them to try to uh, get away from meeting the requirements of uh, the renewable fuel standard. They're always looking for ways to get around those. And uh, the story out from Reuters that maybe they found a new way to do it. Let's talk with Stephanie Kelly now from Reuters. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. You're reporting that it's kind of a, a game of chicken. Explain for us. Hi, yes. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, so this story is, is really a kind of behind-the-scenes market story that I think brings the complexities of biofuels policy as a whole. So as your listeners may know, according to U.S. law, oil refiners must blend billions of gallons of biofuels into their fuel, or they can buy compliance credits, known as RIMs from refiners that do. And these compliance credits are really what the story is about. Um, so we found through looking at companies' quarterly filings that some refiners, and this is mainly PVF, CVR, and Delta's Mineral Energy, have been racking up these massive outstanding obligations in the RIM market. And these liabilities are so big that if it comes to it and they have to settle these positions, that could force some of them to shut down, which could affect, you know, refinery workers and the energy sector. Um, and you're right, we, we have characterized it that they're playing a game of chicken with the White House. Uh, these refiners have always wanted the Biden administration or really any administration in the White House to reduce the obligation they have around these blended requirements. So the idea here is that they're counting on the administration to do that in some way, which would help them with these liabilities, or it puts the Biden administration in a dicey spot as they could see some refineries face a ton of financial pressure. So that's interesting. Basically, these refineries are saying, if you don't let us out of these obligations under the RFS for uh, blending renewable fuels, then we're going to have to shut down, and that's going to make the whole uh, uh, fuel situation, energy situation worse than it already is, and kind of basically saying, let us out so uh, you don't have a bigger problem than you already have on, on fuel prices. Is that it? Right, and I think that you're, you know, you're pointing out a, a really uh, interesting situation because I, I think that this is up against the backdrop of a very dynamic moment for the energy industry. Oil prices right now are at multi-year highs and that funnels down to high gasoline prices. I think the national average price of gasoline right now is probably around $3.40 a gallon. And usually when it goes above that $3 per gallon threshold, we see gasoline consumers become much more aware of the expenses that they're putting towards fuel. And that translates politically. The Biden administration doesn't want people to be upset about their energy costs, and they don't want people to blame Biden for that. So the administration has been urging other producers, oil producers around the world, to increase supply in the hopes that that could ease the market. So all of this is happening right now in, in the background uh, where the Biden administration has to make these decisions on biofuel policy. And if they're hearing that refiners could shut because of compliance costs for RIN, then that adds an added layer to this issue for them. And it gets back to the same debate. The, the renewable fuels industry is saying you could help consumers, motorists at the pump by using more biofuels and lower the cost at the pump. The oil industry is saying making us use more biofuels is causing will cause higher prices at the pump. So we're back to the same 
debate as we wait for the announcement from EPA on the RVO levels. And we're hearing that could be coming soon, but we've been hearing that for some time. So basically, does the administration take a position that they're blaming the renewable fuels industry and, and RENs for higher prices at the pump? Or are they going to say, no, that's going to be our way to lower prices at the pump? So they're going to be making a decision here soon. Right. And I think one of the interesting pieces of the last year reporting um, on biofuels policy is that there have been a lot of considerations within the Biden administration and We've reported on a lot, a lot of that behind-the-scenes play, but in reality, uh, the biofuels industry and the oil industry really have not gotten much indication yet through public rulings or final decisions from the administration on where they're going to come down on biofuels policy. And I think that you see that in the nervousness of the market. Um, it's been a really volatile year for the biofuels market. The RIN prices have gone through the roof at points in the year and then settled back down. And and it's really because the market is still waiting for most of, the, of these decisions that haven't yet happened. I think it would be really hard to accept for the renewable fuels industry after seeing everything the Biden administration has done really to discourage energy production, domestic energy production, fossil fuel production in this country, to then use the renewable fuels industry as some kind of a scapegoat for the reason we have higher prices. Yeah, I think that, you know, since probably the summer or so, we started to hear that, there, you know, there were potentially going to be more delays happening with uh, decisions around biofuels. And it's, it's we, we had heard from sources that it's because of this nervousness um, within the administration. Uh, you know, they, they don't want to make decisions that are um, antithetical to other things that they're saying. Um, and also they just have had a lot of other priorities uh, and other big ticket issues to deal with. And they don't want to anger, you know, other democratic lawmakers um, that whose votes that they need uh, before they pass these bigger items that are on their list. Do you think they've, the administration while they come out and say they're concerned about higher gas prices, doesn't that help them try to move the country towards electric vehicles if the gas if gas prices are high? Could you say that one more time? Is it, do you think the administration uses high gas prices as a way to get the country to move towards electric vehicles? I'm not entirely sure, honestly. Um, I think that that is a little bit outside of my purview. Well, it'll be interesting to see how they react to this move by refiners and what the RVO levels will be whenever we get that announcement. That'll tell us a lot about what direction the administration is going. Uh, Stephanie, thank you. Always good to watch and follow the work you and Jarrett Renshaw and others there at Reuters are doing on these issues. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Take care. Stephanie Kelly with Reuters. So this is an interesting tactic by the oil industry. We'll see what the Biden administration does on these uh, REN prices and the RFS. We'll talk more about it later with Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board. Stay with us next, the president of the National Corn Growers here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products? But I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro seed treatment has over Alevo seed treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and a half bushels per acre advantage from Trivapro fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. 
the system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. So, interesting story we're watching as we wait for EPA to release the RBO levels, basically setting the... uh, the minimum amounts for refiners to blend how much uh, biofuels they need to blend to meet the RFS. And we just heard from Stephanie Kelly with Reuters. we got some refiners kind of playing a game of chicken with the administration saying high rent costs. Uh, if you don't get us out of these, let us get our, out of these obligations under the RFS. We're going to go bankrupt or have to close down, and it's going to cause bigger energy problems and trying to force the Biden administration to give them those uh, exemptions or a way around the RFS. Got some thoughts on that now from our next guest, the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Chris Edgington. Chris, good to talk with you again. I mean, here we are still waiting on these long overdue RVO levels announcements, and now we see the oil industry trying to kind of another power play on their part to try to get out of the RFS. You know, Mike, you, you could, I couldn't have said it any better. Um, a, a, the RVO numbers are, are way overdue. Um, and, and B, this is, uh, this is kind of common practice. We seem to go through this with the oil industry, um, if not on a weekly basis. Um, it almost seems like monthly or, or quarterly that, that they've got another angle um, to, to come after the ethanol industry and the renewable fuels industry. And uh, so it's, it's nothing new. Um, we will... Uh, continue to work with the with the people that uh, like our product need our product and totally understand the value that our product brings to the consumer yeah and if you're really concerned if the administration's really concerned about higher prices at the pump well one they can look at some of their own policies uh, against the fossil fuel industry but but two look at biofuels you can go to the pump and see they are less expensive at the pump plus they help what you're trying to you say you're trying to accomplish in these climate goals and that is uh, cleaning the air i mean it ought to be a time that they uh more support the biofuels industry not be thinking of ways to undercut the industry you know and, and it is it's we have a fantastic product. It, it, it's, it's better for the consumer um, from an environmental standpoint. It's better for the consumer from an economical standpoint. 
um, and yet we continue to uh, to face hurdles and roadblocks and backs roadblocks and opposition. And you know, a part of it is uh, the oil industry's been around um, in a larger way than the ethanol industry. But you know, if you go back and study history, Henry Ford designed the Model T. Um, my information tells me uh, to run on ethanol. Uh, that was that was the product he thought it should be running on. So we are not new to the engine world, um, and, and people just still have the perception that that we're new and they don't understand us, and and they're uh, they get a lot of um, misinformation about uh, um, things that ethanol um, is perceived to have done, uh, but actually is not ethanol's issue at all. So it's uh, it's a continual challenge and and um, we uh, we we know our product we like our product and we will continue to help educate uh, both the consumers um, and and the industry about the value we bring to the market talking with Chris Edgington president of the National Corn Growers Association Chris I know that uh, you're happy about some of the aspects of this infrastructure bill that can really help uh, some areas that need attention when it comes to the ag transportation system. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's an opportunity to fix some inland waterways, an opportunity to fix some ports. And, you know, people think that it's ag products um, that, that really need those, and, and it's not. If you spend any time on the Mississippi, the Ohio, the Missouri, you will see a lot of products that go up and down that river or the river systems that are uh, – um, more than just ag. So, and then obviously our ports um, ship stuff in and out all the time. And, and then there's broadband challenges. And and if COVID uh, did anything loud and clear for people, it, it proved that our broadband is way behind um, in in most of rural America. And uh, so there there's some real good things in this that uh, that will be able to uh, to build on and and uh, fix um, some things that that needs some major replacement. Um, the locks and dam system was built in the 30s for the most part, some older than that, uh, designed for 50 years. Um, we're, we're approaching 90 plus on a lot of our inland waterway um, system, and, and we've got ports that are in the same, same, you know, same situation. So this is going to be a nice, nice boost um, to be able to fix some of that. Of course, it's one thing to pass a bill. It's another thing to make sure the dollars get right to those projects that need to be taken care of. And I'm sure that national corn growers, as well as others, will be watching that closely. Yeah, we do. Um, but it, it is it is a challenge to get them there in, in a timely manner. I think that's the dollars seem to get there eventually, but timeliness and and we all know that if you bring a construction crew onto a project, you don't want to promise them just 50% of the money, um, and then we'll see you again next year. Um, it's nice to be able to say, um, we're here, we're started, we're going to get it finished uh, because we will have you know, the money and the funds that we need, and they will come in on a, on a timely manner. So we're always trying to make sure that, that funds arrive um, at their destination of, of project or activities you know, in a timely manner. And, and sometimes that's a challenge. Yeah, and you're going to have federal and state government making a lot of those decisions on when and where that money goes. So that'll be a key part of this, too. And we know that when you get into government uh, uh, oversight and government involvement, that can slow things down. It, it can. Um, and, you know, but there's a, there's a reason. We've got uh, um, a process they have to go through as well. We are fortunate, though that um, I think every governor and every state, whether they're on an, the inland waterways, whether they're on broadband, whether they're in the port systems um, on our coastal areas, um, those states are very much engaged and try to move it forward in a very timely manner because they know the economic impact it has for their state. So we've got a lot of help and a lot of support, um, but it also becomes an awful lot of people with uh, fingers that are uh, trying to keep things organized. Speaking of states, I know you're encouraged about the, the Midwest governors coming together with a plan to to sell more E15. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's th this is a frustrating topic um, in a lot of ways. 
because the product's excellent. Um, and, and it should have been have open access a long time ago, but we've had to go through some extra hurdles. It's the most studied fuel on the market, and it, it uh, keeps getting little roadblocks put up in front of it. Obviously, we um, have a court uh, challenge that uh, was not 100% in our favor, um, so we've got some things we're working through there. But we have governors, we have legisl federal legislators um, that strongly believe in E15 and the benefits it brings to their state and their consumers, and so they're working on, on making sure that we do have access to it year-round. Are you hearing from your members around the country concerned about input costs and availability? Yeah, to put it lightly. Uh, last week I did an interview every day around fertilizer costs, and and we, um, you know, we're part of an amicus brief filing in the court system um, to try to reverse the tariffs that were put in place um, last spring um, by a petition that Mosaic had filed. And, you know, Mosaic had 74% of the market share already. And, and when the International Trade Commission allowed their tariff request, they now have over 80% market share of uh, fertilizer here in the U.S. And it has had a dramatic impact on supply and a dramatic impact on price. And so I hear a lot from my grower members that they're not happy. They want to know what we're doing about it. They want to know why this even happened. Um, and then there are some other activities um, in the background that uh, may have an effect on nitrogen fertilizer from a couple other companies. And so we are trying to be proactive on those as well um, as they're, they're trying to use a slightly different tactic. But, um, yes, input costs. Are, are a major concern uh, for growers going into this next year. Um, it's one of the hottest topics that, that you will find, and nobody really knows where we're going to land um, as far as uh, the, the uh, mixture of crops that will be grown, the chemistries that might be used, um, what changes fertilizer could have. Um, there's equipment part problems um, still today. I just actually read one. Uh, this morning, um, that there's additives that are short for engine oil, for regular cars and pickups. So th the supply problem is not going away anytime soon. Lots of challenges. Chris, good to talk with you again. Thank you very much. Anytime. Chris Edgington, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Stay with us. We'll talk markets next here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. You only get one chance to leave your mark on the land you love. So choose the soybeans with a legacy all their own. FS High Soy. The first proprietary soybean brand, High Soy has been a part of the land for 50 years, offering the latest in trade technologies and elite genetics. High Soy varieties continue to provide industry charting yields. FS High Soy. See your local FS member company or visit fshighsoy.com. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Row crops are trading higher. Wheat contracts are in the red following yesterday's traction higher. Weekly export sales of U.S. corn, soybeans, and wheat all declined compared to the prior week. However, corn and bean sales held just above the five-year average volume, while wheat export sale volume fell below the five-year average for the fourth week in a row. China was the top buyer for soybeans. Canada was a top buyer for corn. And the Philippines was a top buyer for wheat last week. 
On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading a penny and a half cent higher at 571. The March contract up a penny at 579. For soybeans, the March contract up four and a fraction at 1237 and a fraction of a cent. The January contract trading four cents higher at 1225 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat December down a penny and a half cent at 811. Kansas City wheat December down a penny and a half cent at 826. Minneapolis spring wheat December up a half cent at 1053 and three quarters. The March contract trading two cents higher at 1048. Regarding pork exports, the USDA anticipates the U.S. will export 3.36 million metric tons of pork in 2022. This would represent a 2.7 percent increase from the 3.27 million metric tons expected to be exported in 2021. Exports in 2023 are expected to remain stable from 2022 levels. For Lean Hog Futures on the Board of Trade, the December contract trading 12 cents lower at 75.25. The February contract up 45 at 79.52. For Live Cattle, the December contract trading 15 cents higher at 132.05. The February contract down 27 at 136.12. Feeder Cattle, November down 62 at 156.70. January down 52 at 158.55. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. On AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Busy week coming up next week. On Tuesday, I'll be in Maryville, Missouri at Northwest Missouri State University broadcasting from their Agricultural Learning Center. We'll talk about their great new facilities there and the, uh, their program, outstanding program. Haven't been there in a while. Looking forward to going back, working with our affiliate KFEQ in St. Joe, Missouri. So that's next Tuesday, broadcasting from Northwest Missouri State University. Then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'll be in Kansas City for our National Association of Farm Broadcast convention. Always lots of folks uh, throughout agriculture in attendance there that we'll be talking with and uh, have a lot to share with you next week from the state of Missouri. So looking forward to that. Looking forward now to talking things over with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, I'm seeing pictures of snow in North Dakota, Minnesota, and other places. Uh, Tis the season, I guess, that's finally here. Some folks still trying to get harvest wrapped up. Yeah, that's for sure. Heck, I'm in uh, Iowa today, and I'll tell you what, it's snowing where I'm at, so it's, Is it? uh, it's uh, pretty chilly, but uh, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of folks still trying to get wrapped up, but uh, by all means, this last two-week window surely was uh, quite a blessing for a lot of people to be able to get caught up, and uh, you know, while everyone's not done, we're in significantly better shape than what a lot of us thought we might be three weeks ago. Yeah, in our state of Illinois, I know this last uh, several days, not only wrapping up harvest, but a lot of fall field work got done as well. Absolutely. And quite frankly, uh, you know, Mike, we actually put some anhydrous on this week. Uh, Now, I would say right there in central Illinois, there wasn't a huge run for anhydrous, but I think a lot of tiled ground had anhydrous put on. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think uh, where folks were maybe a little bit drier over the last couple of weeks, maybe there were some places uh, otherwise. But uh, I know in our part of the world, they were trying to put some on uh, on some untiled ground and there's water standing in places still. So Mm -hmm. it's 
still plenty wet. I mean, just the two, three, four tenths we got this week made it seem like an inch uh, due to the time of year and due to the fact that we were already fairly wet. Matt, I want to look at this corn market. We've had support from the ethanol industry, some aggressive buying by ethanol plants. We're waiting to see what the EPA is going to decide on RVO levels and the renewable fuel standard. Uh, depending on which way they go, that could really impact that. Uh, yeah, there's no question. It could definitely impact that. And so, you know, I, I think that the general consensus is that they feel like uh, this administration is going to be friendly towards uh, renewable fuels. But, uh, you know, with that being said, nobody wants to trust that 100% just yet because uh, we've definitely had curveballs thrown at us before. But uh, uh, it's been interesting to see this basis, Mike. I tell you what, uh, just in our part of the world, you know, uh, one of the major processors went to 30 over this week and paying more for that if you get it there by uh, Saturday. I'll tell you what, uh, some of these guys are acting like uh, we didn't just uh, have a record crop. I mean, it's uh, – it's very interesting to see, you know, 177 national yield and, and all the major overs that we're seeing out there in the countryside right now. Given what we've seen in this last USDA report and still the uncertainty of input costs and availability, do you see any move one way or another on acres, corn or beans, as you look at it here in November, looking to next spring? That's a great question, Mike. I tell you what, the one thing that this report did for us is that it gave a little bit of, or a lot of support, kind of a lifeline, if you will, to the bean market. Uh, whenever you look at this uh, uh, bean yield going down to 51.2, it kind of uh, closed the door on any major just collapse in the bean complex. And so what does that mean for corn? Well, it means that uh, if you're going to be bidding up uh, for acres, you can't forget about soybeans when you're looking at a 340 million bushel carryout currently. You're going to have to have a fair amount of soybean acres, especially with this renewable uh, uh, diesel discussion that continues to, to ramp up. And so over the next two to three years, you're going to see a huge amount of demand come into this bean complex. Now, is it going to happen in the next 12 months? Probably not. But Input costs, in my opinion, are not the biggest driver of the fear of planting corn. It's input availability, and I think part of the problem is that we're still not able to run whole hog on anhydrous, for instance, in Illinois, Indiana, Ohio. If you're going to have to run all the anhydrous for the most part, or 75%, 80% of it in the spring time frame, I don't know that we've got the logistics to make that work. Most of these guys are saying right now they can't even find uh, enough trucks to be able to refill the limited amount that they've hauled out so far. So uh, uh, this input discussion is going to be a, one that continues. And I think from an acreage standpoint, expecting much more than 90 million acres on corn this next year is probably asking for quite a bit. Were there any big surprises to you in that report this week? The biggest surprise to me was soybean yield going down. We haven't talked to a whole lot of folks that weren't very happy uh, with their bean yields, and so uh, I kind of expected that bean yield was going to go up, and we were looking at a record crop. Now, uh, with that being said, uh, you know, and I don't want to throw shade at the USDA. Typically, the USDA is pretty accurate versus their final yield whenever it comes to soybeans, and they print that November yield. It's usually fairly close, and so... Um, you got to think that we're not going to grow a whole lot more from here. Are we going to grow the corn yield a little bit more? Uh, I think it's possible because you've went up three uh, reports in a row, so you certainly don't want to go to sleep on that. But with that being said, the nice thing for this corn deal is, you know, they gave us 50 million bushels of ethanol, uh, corn usage for ethanol. I think they can easily go another 100 based upon the grind that we're currently seeing. So, uh, you know, if they take the corn yield up, I think there's demand behind it that can keep that carryout below 1.5 safely. Speaking of demand, we it's interesting to see China now. It seems like they're they're really banking on South America having enough old crop and then off to a good start with their new crop. Yeah, there's no doubt that uh, China is, has been very slow to book U.S. beans. We've heard that maybe we lost some beans off the P&W this week because we were too expensive. Uh, you know, it, it uh, is a little bit of a concern, but, you know, at the same time, I think that uh, uh, Brazil, if they have a huge crop, there's no doubt that they'll be able to fulfill a lot of that supply. But I do think that it might be one of those longer windows, whereas maybe we actually do get to uh, – uh, export some U.S. beans after the typical time frame that we're in. Uh, but, you know, it's concerning, I will tell you. If I'm concerned about exports, I'm certainly more concerned about bean exports than what I am corn. 
Well, I was gonna, we've talked about this before. What are you suggesting for those holding unsold crop right now, both corn and beans? Good question. I would say on corn, Mike, uh, most of us feel like uh, corn's good property, but, you know, sometimes we don't want to be um, uh, foolish, if you will. So right now there's some $6 bids floating around out there. And for a producer in your neck of the woods or my neck of the woods, you and I both know there's some pretty hefty yields out there this year. So if you've got 200 and <laughs> whatever bushel corn, you know, and you're snubbing your nose at $6, you're tempting fate a little bit. Now, do I think corn's going to be good property? Absolutely. But locking in those types of profit margins is, is uh, something that we don't get the luxury of doing very often. So keep that in the back of your mind. On beans, I don't know that I'm near as uh, supportive old crop beans as what I am maybe corn. I, I do think that uh, uh, while I'm selling corn, uh, some of the corn that's in the bin I think is going to be fantastic property moving forward. Beans, I think I'd try to get out of them. And if a guy wants to stay long or a gal wants to stay long, you know, you might go out there and buy a call option or whatnot. But uh, I certainly want to get get to moving my old crop beans uh, here on this strength. What about wheat? Are you bullish? Boy, it's hard to be bullish at eight and a half dollar wheat, Mike. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, we didn't. Uh, I don't know that the soft red winter wheat seedings are going to be near what we needed them to be. And uh, some of them are talking about, you know, uh, it's a pretty common theme out there that the crop doesn't look very good right now. So. Um, you know, I think that you're going to have to keep this wheat complex very supported uh, going into next spring to encourage in spring wheat country a heck of a lot of spring wheat acres. Uh, the world situation, domestic situation, significantly tighter. We fed a lot of cheap feed wheat last year, so don't go to sleep on the fact that we don't have cheap feed wheat to feed this year. It's going to be very interesting to see the battle for protein and acres. Let's talk general economy and the impact on, on commodity markets. Uh, we watch the strength of the U.S. dollar. That's going to tell us a lot. You know, uh, the strength of the U.S. dollar is somewhat perplexing in some ways, and it makes a lot of sense in other ways. But, Mike, whenever you see the inflation, 6.5%, you know, you know it, it's it's uh, pretty stout. It's, it's very strong. And so, you know, uh, I guess my thought process is, uh, that typically would make me think if things are inflating, maybe the dollar would back off. But I think what it is, is a lot of folks are looking at the U.S. economy as, um, you know, the best-looking ugly situation, you know, because <laughs> uh, maybe our economy is going to withstand things a little bit better than what some of the other ones are. Uh, but overall, I've got to think inflation is, I mean, you can't ignore the fact that inflation is present. It's here, and uh, it's not something that's going to go away overnight. Uh, it's it's concerning somewhat, and I would say producers take uh, this opportunity of big income to uh, get as healthy as they possibly can. Because typically, you know, when you see a hot economy get way too hot and inflation take hold, uh, higher interest rates are almost certainly going to be happening at some point. And so, I certainly uh, want people to be very cognizant of that and be prepared. Yeah, keep an eye on that. Yeah, everyone says the economy is heating up, but I think a lot of folks are just concerned about paying for heating up their homes this winter <laughs> yeah and i tell you what mike if it's a, a cold hard winter uh then natural gas propane you name it it's not going to be cheap we know that and so what do you think that's going to do for anhydrous prices because a lot of folks mm -hmm. are saying you know i'm just going to wait i'm going to look at uh, half the price for anhydrous next spring and i bet you uh, good money that's not going to happen especially if it's a, a hard winter i've got fear that we could be looking at some pretty hefty prices next spring yeah, it's all connected, that's for sure. Good to talk with you, Matt. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. All right, up next, Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. His thoughts on what's happening uh, with the administration, what we're waiting to find out on RVO levels and uh, concerns about the RFS. Will the oil industry be allowed to, to skirt their obligations or not? We'll talk about that and more next, right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. 
Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're putting proven yield advantage to work in your fields. Extend Flex soybeans offer elite genetics built on the proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. In fact, farmers saw a four bushel per acre advantage and a 70% average win rate over Enlist E3 soybeans in 2020 germplasm trials. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon Spread Sense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon Spread Sense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, good to talk with you again. We led today's show talking with Stephanie Kelly with Reuters. They have a story out there saying that some refiners are basically playing the game of chicken with the Biden administration, saying, hey, rent costs are too high. We'll, we'll have to close down uh, if, we're, if we have to meet the obligations uh, for blending renewable fuels under the RFS, uh, kind of daring the administration to let them out. Uh, what do you think of this latest tactic by the oil industry? Well, good morning, Mike. Glad to be with you. Uh, it's pretty outrageous, isn't it, to, to look at uh, a handful of refiners, three specifically that were mentioned in the article that you talked about, deciding that they're no longer going to comply with the law. The law that's been on the book since uh, originally in 2005, expanded in 2007, that put an obligation on these refiners to blend, to either blend uh, the required amount of biofuels in their product, or if they chose not to blend, to purchase uh, credits to demonstrate compliance. 2007. Keep in mind that, that, that date. That's how long these refiners have known and have understood and, and should have recognized what was required of them under the law, under the statute that Congress intended to promote additional volumes of biofuels. Here, now, here's the critical component of this, Mike, is where, where, do they, where do they buy these credits from? Well, they buy them from others in the uh, fuel sector who have blended beyond their requirement and are willing to sell them. So what, is it, what kind of signal are we sending here to those that have complied with the law, have gone above and beyond in order to generate these credits so that others who don't choose to blend the biofuels can, can purchase these credits and use those for compliance? If, if this administration, uh, hopefully they've seen this, this report, this is, a, this is a very credible report of a playbook that these refiners are using to simply no longer comply with the law and hope that the Biden administration bails them out for who knows what reason. But it's, it's, it's really outrageous, and I, I, hope, uh, I hope the folks in the Biden administration read this, understand it, and see what these refiners are up to. And, and talk about sending signals. If they do this, if they give them the out from the RFS, then basically you're blaming the RFS for higher fuel prices you're saying that's one of the reasons if not the reason for it it's really it's really outrageous that a program that was meant to add additional volume mm -hmm. of fuels into the transportation supply could be also blamed for raising prices at the pump we are extending the fuel supply if part of the reason we're having high prices today is because the economy bounced back we we, we weren't prepared as quickly to to produce these fuels so how could having less biofuels available for the market uh, help drive down uh, prices at the pump? The, the exact opposite would be true. We have additional supply. That supply would then get to the consumer and, and, and lower the price. Yeah, ought to be saying use more renewable fuels. Don't say to the oil industry, we'll let you use less. That's right. If we don't have the refining capacity right now uh, to, to meet the demand from the consumer, why wouldn't more supply be the solution? And, and, and Mike, to be, to be clear on this, this, if the Biden administration were to, to take, this, take the bait from these refiners and provide relief however they would choose to do that, they would essentially write the playbook for the refining industry to erode any, any value, any statutory requirement under the RFS. Why would any obligated party choose to comply with the law if non-compliance is rewarded with a get-out-of-jail-free uh, card. Huge implications here. So we wait, see what the administration does as we wait for their announcement on these RVO levels. What are you hearing there? Well, I wish I had some good news there, but unfortunately I don't. We've all seen uh, Administrator Regan uh, was quoted here in the last day or so uh, mentioning that they're, they're, they're uh, soon to be released. You know, we, we've heard that <laughs> for you know, since July, probably that they're, mm -hmm. that they're soon to be released. The fact of the matter is that they need to get, they need to get them done and get them out. And now I'm not putting all the blame on this administration. They inherited a mess from the previous administration that didn't get the rule done out on, uh, done on time by November 30th of, 
of last year. But everybody who deals with this program, whether it's a biofuels producer, a feedstock provider, or an obligated party, a refiner, they want this they want this proposal out because it it it's imperative to understand what the market is going to be, and that's what this rule does. So everybody who who has some role to play in this program wants this rule out. Well, it's kind of like you were saying, either they're going to follow the law or they're not. You would think that they would follow the law. Look at how many administration folks we just had over in in Glasgow, uh, Scotland, talking about all the ambitious goals to reducing carbon, to addressing climate, to lowering the, the, the Earth's temperature. And here we are having a conversation about whether a handful of refiners should be forced to comply with a law that requires them to use lower carbon biofuels. It, 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 if it weren't happening, you, you would say this is so ridiculous, Mike, this couldn't possibly be the case. But that's the, that's the situation we're dealing with right now, where refiners are arguing that we should use less low carbon biofuels uh, and having that argument with an administration that is singularly focused on addressing climate. It's really hard to yeah. believe. Yeah, the solution, or at least a big part of the solution, is staring them in the face, and it's like they refuse to acknowledge it. You're exactly right. It's it's hard to uh, imagine, isn't it? Well, it is. Kurt, we'll see what they come up with, and they announce hopefully, well, as you said, we've been hearing that they're going to do it sometime soon for months now. We'll see what they come up with. Kurt, good to talk with you again. Thank you. You bet. Glad to be with you. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. So we uh, await that decision from EPA on biofuels. Uh, in the meantime, speaking of fuels, uh, a lot of concern about propane prices and availability. That'll be one of our topics that we'll cover coming up on Monday. Keep a close watch, of course, on, on these markets as well and inflation. Lots going on. Again, uh, next Tuesday, I'll be broadcasting from Maryville, Missouri at Northwest Missouri State University. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week in Kansas City for the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. Busy week ahead. We hope you have a great weekend ahead. Thank you for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again on Monday here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by... Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products? But I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro seed treatment has over Olivo seed treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and a half bushels per acre advantage from Trivapro fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstad and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr, and much, much more. Register before November 25th to save $100 off registration. Get your tickets today at DTN.com backslash Ag Summit.